On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now, this weekend, we've witnessed the return of the Pride Parades to the streets of the capital and indeed to the streets of many towns and cities across the country. Um, here in Dublin, a colourful parade and what began as a fairly grey day. Thankfully, the weather wasn't too awful, although there was a little bit of a downpour uh, in the middle of it all. And a historically significant Pride because we had more than a thousand public servants taking part in the procession yesterday through the streets of Dublin. All of which is a far time removed from a time when Ireland only had one publicly recognised LGBT couple. And even then arguing about whether they were recognised or whether it was vocally stated that they were a gay couple is very much up in the air. The couple were Hilton Edwards and Michal McLeamore. The acceptance of them in mainstream Irish society being honoured together was unprecedented for their era and Donald Fallon has come in to tell us all about them. Donald, good to see you as ever. Uh, McLeamore and Edwards, we'll discuss their their Irishness and sort of the role in Irish society in a while. Um, But it's pretty remarkable that they had so many honours bestowed on them, including even the freedom of the city. At the same time, yeah, look, the freedom of the city of Dublin is an honour bestowed on names as diverse as, you know, Kelly Harrington, Nelson Mandela, Jack Charlton, Maureen Potter and John Fitzgerald Kennedy. There's a -a five-a-side team for you. (laughs) (laughs) In uh, in June 1973, and goals be grand. <laughs> it was bestowed on the duo of Hilton Edwards and Michal McLeamor. And I think in its own way, that was a kind of acceptance or an acknowledgement of their you know, the duality. Mm. Uh, in an Ireland before decriminalisation, Hilton Edwards and McLeamor, I mean, they were undoubtedly Ireland's most recognised gay couple, even if that, as we're going to get into today, kind of went unsaid. And I think the names of McLeamor and Edwards, they'll forever be synonymous with the theatre in post-independence Ireland, with the creation of a theatre that was, you know, very European in ambition, uh, as much as Irish in the form of the gate still going strong. And of course, the crowds yesterday would have marched right by the theatre of McLeamore and Edwards. Uh, and their role in setting up the gay theatre, it was a new departure because there were obviously other theatres around at the time that these two were knocking around Dublin's theatrical circles. But but all those other theatres did very focused sort of things. Yeah, there had been Yeats's Abbey Theatre, you know, haunted by history, as much about a heroic past as anything contemporary. And, you know, when Yeats creates the Abbey, he makes that point. He says there's been theatres in Dublin stretching back, you know, hundreds of years, but there's never been a distinctly Irish theatre. You know, he believes that it's the job of a national theatre to talk about a nation. Some people disagreed with that. You know, a young James Joyce pondered uh, if all of that kind of Irish exclusivity was a good thing. And should we talk about Irish culture, you know, to the, to the, to the, the ignorance of other things? So the Abbey was very much an Irish national theatre, but the, these protagonists today, MacLeamore and Edwards, they created something else, something very continental, very, I suppose, uh, globally contemporary. Uh, despite the great Irish name, Micheál MacLeamore, um, it, it turns out that maybe <laughs> it was all a, a little bit of an affectation that he was, actually wasn't Irish at all. Yeah, he was like the Tony Cascarino of the, of the theatrical world, you know. <laughs> And the most remarkable thing about Michal McLeamore, uh, there's a great irony and a great contradiction in this. You know, he never hid aspects of himself, his great flamboyant personality. Uh, famously, McLeamore walked the streets of Dublin in what one contemporary recalled as full Max Factor makeup. You know, he looked brilliant. He looked like he was always <laughs> destined for a stage every day. But the only aspect of McLeamore that was hidden was his origin story. You know, despite uh, a complex and invented origin story, he rooted himself in Cork, yeah. claimed he was born in Cork went to London as a young boy. Uh, McLeamore was actually born Alfred Wilmore in London in October 1899. No Irish blood 
whatsoever on either side of his family, firmly rooted in London. And you know, biographers who've, who've had a go at him uh, and have researched and tried to get deep into the origin story, yeah. uh, they suggest that there may have been Jewish blood here, but certainly not no Irish blood. So, you know, MacLeamore, it seemed to him, Alfred Wilmore, MacLeamore, was a good Gaelic take on the name. Yeah, I love that idea that you could just like invent an origin story. And this, this, of course, you know, the modern day version of that is, oh, like, you know, I'm seeing a girl, but anyway, she goes to a different school and you wouldn't know her name. She's not on Facebook, so what would you know? Like, it says, oh, no, he's actually from Cork. So that's fine. It's such an exotic other place that you'd never be able to trace his true background. Uh, and even when the evidence was later, like it was uncovered clear as day, he still insisted on kind of living out this persona, this this lie about his origins. It's brilliant, isn't it? And yeah, it, it, I think it's actually all the more remarkable. It's an even better origin story that an Englishman, you know, with no Irish blood whatsoever, is swept up by youthful exposure to the Gaelic revival, uh, to writers like Oscar Wilde uh, and WB Yeats, and that you could go on and become a key figure in Irish cultural history without Irish blood, I think is brilliant mm. but McLeamore kind of insisted on pretending otherwise and he, he never really let the mask slip and look you know Ian Brown of the Stone Roses was the one who said it's not where you're from it's where you're at <laughs> that's Fair. the story of Michal McLeamore he may have been a Londoner but he became a part of us he takes Irish classes with the Gaelic League in London he travels to Connemara as a young man to, to improve his spoken Irish he really takes this brief very very seriously <laughs> yeah. and it's his, the ultimate in method acting really exactly the ultimate in method acting and his career begins as a child star on the London stage but you know, the focus of his young manhood on becomes uh, Ireland. And as one biographer put it, I mean, timing is perfect. MacLeamore is under the spell of Ireland. He's transfixed by everything Irish. And there's a new Irish state in the 1920s mm. that's also keen to give the language itself you know, its place in the arts. And the Irish state's all about the Irish language on stage. The problem they have is finding Irish speakers. Mm. And, and here's one of them. Um, so he finds himself then in early 1920s Ireland. He is, as part of this new fledgling theatrical movement, as you mentioned, he's now skilled in the language, which makes him highly sought after. And this young actor meets another young actor called Hilton Edwards. And it's that meeting that changes his life. Really. Great. It's a great story. MacLeamore is travelling uh, Ireland with, with a new McMaster, uh, his brother-in-law, great, great uh, dramatist. They're travelling the country uh, and he meets this young actor, Hilton Edwards. Edwards, also from London, from Holloway Road, although he never hit it, uh, a veteran of the Old Vic in London, who'd later boast that he'd appeared in all but two of Shakespeare's plays, which is <laughs> absolutely amazing. That, that's, you know? so, that's some body of work now, in fairness. Yeah, yeah, that's an incredible body of work. And the spark was instantaneous, physical attraction, intellectual attraction as well. Uh, and MacLeamore later recalled with affection that they didn't agree on everything. He said, Hilton is in trial by sporting guns and ships and electricity and chess and gardening and finance and how things work. Whereas I care for none of these mysteries and apart from the arts can take pleasure in nothing but languages and miracles, the mood of nature and my own sensation. But these two Londoners, I suppose, are captivated by each other uh, in 1920s Dublin. Which only makes you think then how remarkable it was that there were, uh, and we'll get on to this in a few minutes, but the tributes that were paid to them when they both passed away and the fact they were given the freedom of the city despite actually neither of them won you know, mm. under pretense, but neither of them actually being being from the city. It's a remarkable thing. And um, so then they ultimately uh, founded the Gate Theatre together. That was their invention, and it was important for all kinds of reasons beyond just the fact that it was founded by by two men who were together as a couple. Yeah, there's a whole host of founders at the Gate, but there are two of them. And London had a Gate Theatre, and it's kind of funny for someone that was chasing a Gaelic identity. Uh, London and Continental Theatre did have a big impact on on MacLeamore, and what they bring to the Dublin stage, you know, European theatre, American theatre. Uh, a little-known actor, Orson Welles, begins his acting career wow. uh, at the Gate Theatre uh, under their guidance. And Orson basked in the good reviews for his Dublin performances. He wrote home, A new glory flows in the East. I am a professional. <laughs> he, was, <laughs> he was delighted, but it was McLeamore and Edwards so who put Orson so, Welles on stage. So the seeds were sown just behind the rotunda for Orson Welles. Which is there amazing. You which is yeah. amazing. You know? And uh, look, the Gate matters for a whole host of reasons. It wasn't just 
uh, World Theatre. They also promoted kind of new Irish talent and young women. Young women often felt at that time that the, the doors of the Abbey Theatre was kind of closed to them. Mm. Moira Laverty, Mary Manning, these were kind of emerging young female talent and they, they put their work on on the stage and there became a kind of very healthy rivalry in the city between the gate and the abbey mm. uh, they're basically one street from each other O'Connell yeah. Street mm. one seemed to be really contemporary really edgy the other seemed to be very historic very Irish uh, and the Dublin Wits nicknamed the feud Sodom and Begora <laughs> <laughs> Begara is, is, is the important one to remember there poor old uh, La Scala Theatre been written, written out of all of that it's kind of written out of, of all of modern history only now remembered as being A. the site of the modern day pennies and B. where Fianna Fáil where was Fianna Fáil were born yeah only just down the street again on O'Connell Street um, so what's, what's remarkable then about uh, these two about Edwards and McLeamore is that everyone knows they're a couple and yet no one ever says that they're a couple. Yeah. They're, they're kind of living this remarkable they're being out while not being out. They're never out per se, but you know, it's an open secret. And I think what's more important even than that is that they kind of say it not just through their own life, but through the theatre. I mean, the theatre provides a space for such things to be addressed as well. In, the- in Britain, theatre was really heavily censored. And ironically, it was much freer in this country. Ireland oh. was renowned for censorship when it came to film, when it came to literature. But for whatever reason, theatre largely got away with it here. So you walk into the gate under the stewardship of MacLeod Moore and Edwards and you can see plays with gay characters, you know, gay relationships, mm. a, a greater complexity of characters than, than the stage in Ireland might have been, might have been used to. And I think, look... Were they Ireland's most visible gay couple? There's an argument they're Ireland's only visible gay couple. Mm, you know, yeah. <laughs> Edwards uh, was someone that kind of writers and directors came to adore. If you were in the theatre game, you knew Edwards. Uh, his professionalism was a real shining light, and he, he really made people think, "No, this is this is professional theatre. This is not amateur theatre." And then McLeamore, I think, was a much more publicly recognisable figure because he was really obsessed with television. So when television arrives in Ireland, he's on it all the time. He's a great guest on chat shows. Uh, and his work had massive mainstream appeal. You had a great one-man show, The Importance of Being Oscar, about Oscar Wilde. Mm-hmm. So more people knew MacLeamore in public life than knew, than knew Edwards. Uh, but yes, yeah, certainly they were, they were a very visible couple yeah. in Irish life. Uh, we've touched on it a little bit before, and I might actually tweet some of the links to the other pieces that we've done over the years about Gay Dublin. But it is worth remembering, and particularly given the weekend that it is now, that beyond the gate, that really there wasn't such a thing as gay Dublin. There wasn't a no. that there wasn't a, a gay spar down at the corner of uh, Dame Street and George Street. Like, it was it was literally just the theatre, pretty much, and nothing else. Yeah, I walked by it yesterday. I noticed that it actually said "Happy Pride" from Gay Spar. Yeah, it's become so sentient it's, now. It's just, so it's been memeified into yeah. into reality. But you know, what one who was there uh, recalled in 1960s Dublin, the gay scene basically consisted of two pubs. Rice's and Bartley Dunn's, uh, two locations, a stone's throw from where we're sitting at the moment. Mm. They weren't even explicitly gay spaces, they're just gay friendly spaces. There were two pubs yeah. in the 1950s and 60s city that were considered gay friendly. And look, the process of decriminalisation, that began in Britain in the 1960s, but the road here proved to be, you know, considerably longer. And it's really the 1970s, I think Ferret is right when he calls them, you know, the 1970s are Ireland's 1960s. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of stuff that happened elsewhere in the world in the 60s began happening here in the yeah. 70s. The Hirschfield Centre, uh, the, the sexual liberation movement, which began life in, in Trinity College. I think David Norris described the founders of the sexual liberation movement. He said it was uh, 11 gays and a question mark, you know, 12 people, <laughs> 12 people in a room. But this was the 70s when this stuff was finally yeah. starting to happen in Ireland. And look, by then, MacLeamore and Edwards were, were aged men. They were kind of basking in, in, in a well-earned retirement. Uh, yeah, we have to cover the history of the Hirschfeld Centre as well. I will tweet the link to that in a couple of minutes time when we get out of the studio it is a fascinating story um, in the end the, there was an acknowledgement of the importance
importance of the men in each other's lives. So even in passing, although they're still still passing away at a time when, when yeah. being homosexual was criminalised, there was still this kind of public acknowledgement and, and respect for their coupledom. When McLeamore dies, uh, the very public way that Hilton Edwards is acknowledged as a grieving partner, I think mm. that's a big deal for Ireland. Yeah. You know, he's, he's offered the condolences uh, of President Hillary, for example. That's wow, a very significant, very significant, very significant yeah. milestone. That, that the Oris would sort of semi-acknowledge the formality of your relationship, even if it wasn't the officially accepted yeah, thing. That's very absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. A long time before decriminalisation. So, you know, for President Hillary to do that was a massive gesture. And I think, look, the two, they were often honoured together, like the freedom of the city of Dublin. Uh, but... You know, I think the, the the greatest tribute, the greatest memorial to Hilton Edwards and Michal McLeamore is the fact that the doors of the, the gay theatre uh, remain open. It's still going strong. Yeah, um, remarkable as well that it, just that we, we're talking about two, two men who had such a role in, in Irish theatre and we're talking about two lads who were ultimately called Hilton and Alfred and, and neither of them actually <laughs> being from Dublin at all. Uh, it is remarkable. Uh, a fascinating story as ever. Donald Fallon, thank you very much. Donald is the author of the Community TV books and of Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia, a story about the gentrification of Dublin in the 20th century. He's also the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast about the history of the capital city which you'll find anywhere you get your audio online. On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC. Sunday morning at 11. On News Talk.